Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 35, Blazing Saddles Movie Review. This is Chris McBrien along with Yancey Eaton. This is Pop Goes Your World. This is going to be a great show. Yancey, I, I can't even tell you. I'm so excited for this show. Before we get into that, I should mention, <laughs> hey, if you want to get in touch with us out there, you can get a hold of us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien. Just remember, McBrien is I-E-N. Or you can always head over to the website, popgoesyourworld.com. All our contact information is on there. You can reach out to us. So like I say, Yancey, I'm very, very excited. But before we dive right into this week's show... Uh, anything going on in the world of pop for you? Uh, Kendrick Lamar's new album came out today, very which cool. is you enjoying very, it? very good. Yes, I am enjoying it. Uh, he's kind of like my go-to rapper. Everybody kind of has like that one. I mean, I, I don't know if you still listen to rap music on the daily, Chris, but everybody kind of has like their little <laughs> I like, circle. I like, the old, I like the old school stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I do too. Snoop I do too. And, but, uh, and that's kind of stuff. So th- this has been pretty anticipated. I've been, I mean, Last year, he released like the B sides to his last album that basically didn't make the cut, and even that was like an award-winning album of just like miss, you know, fit songs that didn't fit into the album. Everything he does is so good, and I'm I'm like the biggest fanboy when it comes to him. But um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm really excited to talk about this movie simply because it is so not what I was expecting. It's so clever, it's so funny, and uh, I ended up watching it like two and a half times. I almost oh, finished. Wow! It so I, so I should set this up a little bit, you know, for anyone that's li- that listen to this podcast on a regular basis, or even if mm-hmm. you're just joining us for the very first time, that's fine. Every week we go back and forth. We have different topics about pop cultures and you know we obviously have our different takes on it me from the gen x perspective and you from the millennial perspective and so last for the last you know couple months really i've been bugging you saying you gotta watch blazing saddles man it's like a it's a classic from gen x and you know all gen xers we love this movie and you gotta watch it too oh yeah i've never seen it this that so last week i issued the challenge that you had to watch blazing saddles and come to this show and we're gonna break down the, the, the movie and we're going to kind of review it from two different perspectives from our generation. So you obviously, you know, I threw down the gauntlet and you took up the uh, the challenge very admirably and you watched mm-hmm. it. So according to what you're saying, um, it sounds like you enjoyed it. Is that is that fair to say? I did enjoy the movie a lot and it's uh, <laughs> there's just so much weirdness to it. I, I feel like uh, not to just jump right into this, but it feels like this is just a movie with like a very loose plot just to kind of throw in as many jokes as they could get to stick. You know what I mean? And it just it, it works so well. I mean, I, where do I where do I begin? To be honest with you, I, I don't even know. Well, um, <clears throat> let's just think about this for a second. Um let me ask you some questions on it, okay? Because I've obviously seen this movie a lot of times. But by the way, I should set this up because before we came in to do this show, um, earlier in the week, I said to my wife, hey, you know what? This week, I was able to convince Yancey to watch Blazing Saddles and we're going to talk about it. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, and whatever. She's like, I've never seen that either. I'm like, oh, man, I tell you. So I said, well, in, in, <laughs> in the spirit of not only having her watch it, but also, you know, to kind of brush up on it because it's been years since I've seen it. I thought maybe I should watch it again. And, and just to kind of, you know, you know, just kind of tune tune up a little bit on it. So we watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not like it. 
at all? No, she thought it was stupid. She's like, this movie is stupid. She goes, I can't. She goes, it must be a guy thing. She goes, like, I, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. The only thing she did like, there was one scene in the movie that she liked, and that was when Lily von Stupp is singing the song "I'm Tired." When she's saying that, she's like, I like this part. This part's good. And uh, but that was it. The rest of the movie didn't like it. Go figure. But uh, anyway, so that aside, you watched it, and uh, as a millennial, um, what do you think? Could okay, we'll start with this. Blazing Saddles was made in 1974. Okay. Right. Could they make that movie today? And could it be released today exactly the way it was shot then? If they released this, could, first of all, could it get made? Could it get released? Would it have an audience? So you're the millennials. So you could probably answer that for me. Um, when I first started watching it, and I mean, right off the bat, it instantly starts out with, you know, all of the racial epithets we were talking about. Like, uh, you know, like one of the, the railroad workers falls down. And he says, you know, dock that chink a day's pay for sleeping on the job. <laughs> right, and, right. you know, like, Instantly, I was like, oh, no, red flags, red flags. But just like you were talking about before, like the joke is kind of on the white people. They're like the stupid, ignorant, you know, bigots, basically. Um, And the more I kind of watched the film, like I I kind of picked up on that where they were actually making fun of those type of people. And it wasn't like just this this assault on minorities or anything like I was kind of perceiving it to be. Um, So I wanted to say no at first. But after watching the entire movie, I do think it could be made in the exact, you know, in the exact way that it was made, the same dialogue and everything like that. I don't know if it would be, you know, like a major motion picture, you know, released in theaters all across the country. I think it would have been more of kind of a, a niche thing, maybe direct to DVD and then maybe develop a cult following that way. Um, but it's just it's just too funny not to be made. You know what I mean? I think there would always be an audience for it. You got to think there are movies like, uh, uh, you know, talking about like the racial slurs and stuff. I mean, what, we talked about this off air. I think Django Unchained literally says the end n-word like a hundred something times and that movie won awards you know what i mean so um i, I think that people would be receptive to it especially concerned the fact that the, the, the caucasian people are kind of at the bun of all the jokes so yeah I, I do think it would be made so my wife didn't like the liberal use of the n-word okay uh she i wasn't li- a fan yep. i wasn't a fan she didn't yeah. like the the humor in it um and to me she also didn't appreciate the anachronisms and there's lots of anachronisms in this movie like you said it's very very weird you know mm-hmm. they go from you know this time like they're in they're in like 1874 and then all of a sudden they're in like 1974 and then it's like it was just so funny especially at the end and stuff um I, it's funny because you mentioned the way the movie starts out um with like ended the whole scene with the quicksand they mm-hmm. don't want to waste horses so they send the men up and then they get stuck in the quicksand and hurry up get a rope in there and then they they, they pull out the push cart and they the cart the guys in there. <laughs> oh damn near lost a 400 hand cart and it's just like oh my god i can't believe it but it's so funny because Burton Gilliam, he's the guy that plays Lyle. So he was the guy that was like, um, give us a good old work song. You know that guy? Yeah. And mm-hmm. and he was he was actually very, very hesitant to use the N-word when they were shooting it. And he was like, I don't want to say this word. Like, I, I, I'm not comfortable saying this word. And Cleavon Little, um, actually, who played Black Bart, obviously, was went mm-hmm. to him and said, no, 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 no. Say the word. You need to say the word. If you say that word, Outside of when we're shooting, we got ourselves a problem. <laughs> but, right. you know, on set, man, give it your all. Give it your all. And the thing for me was I thought Burton Gilliam and Slim Pickens were two of the most important characters in the whole movie. Because um, to me, though, because those guys were so – they represented the West. The way they walked, the way they talked, their mannerisms, they were the West. And if those two guys aren't in that movie – it's just a bunch of Jews from New York making a Western. And I don't think it would have 
would have had the same impact. It mm-hmm. it wouldn't have had the, the the same like it wouldn't have played the same. So those two guys for me kind of grounded the film quite a bit, and uh, they brought just so much to it. So um, so what, okay, so what would you say would be like your favorite scene in the movie? There's a lot of really really funny scenes. Do you have one that is your favorite that kind of stands out? I I don't know if I have. Yeah, I don't know if I have just one particular scene. I have lines and like individual moments that I wrote down just because I wanted to remember them. Like at the very beginning, whenever he's, you know, the character we were just talking about where he wants them to sing and like they're basically playing stupid. They're playing coy to him. And he's like, you've never heard that song. They're like, no, we've never we've never heard that song. So they, they the camp town ladies. He wanted them to sing. He's like, yeah, yeah, sing me, sing me a song, guys. And they break out into like this beautiful, like, <laughs> like perfect acapella, yeah. like harmonious, you yeah. know, thing. And and then you know the, the white people basically look at them like they're stupid. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah, of course they know what the song is, but they're just they're just playing dumb. Um, stuff like that. Like whenever they went into the salon or the the saloon, whatever you call it, uh, there were actual livestock. There were like horses and, and cows inside the bar. You know what I mean? Little things like that that I noticed. Um, like the line where, where he talks about the fact that you sent him here proves that you're the leading <laughs> in the state <laughs> yeah. or, or the, the girl or, or, or that, yeah. little lines like uh like like when he says chewing gum i hope you brought enough for everybody yeah. i laughed so hard at that like i it's so dumb you, you see what i'm saying it, it, yeah. i literally felt like like mel brooks basically had a list full of jokes and he was trying to fit as many in it it they didn't even have to really make sense as far as the movie goes. You know what I mean? Let me like, throw this at you. Let me throw that because you're mentioned about you know cramming in as many jokes as they can in into yeah. the movie. And I've mentioned this on a previous podcast, but it'll be in a different context for you this time around. So the the funniest joke of the whole movie didn't even make it into the movie. The censors wouldn't allow it. So the scene when um when when Headley Lamar sends um Lily von Stuck. It's Headley. Yeah, it's Headley. It's Headley, not Hetty. And then of course it's eighteen seventy four. So you know, you could sue her. Ha ha ha. And the funny thing was is that Hetty Lamar actually sued them over that movie. Just so you know, um, she she sued them, and then Mel Brooks was like, "It's Hedy Lamar, just pay her off." It just they, they paid her off, right? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So the scene when um, Lily von Stupp goes to uh, seduce Black Bart, and she's with him alone, mm-hmm. and the lights go off, and they're obviously you know getting ready to, to you know to go at it, and she says, "Is it true what they say about you people being gifted?" And you hear zip, and she's like, "Oh, it's true, it's true." And that's the end of the scene. But there was another line, and Black Bart says, I hate to break it to you, lady, but you're sucking on my arm. And they cut it out of the movie. And and and, he, and, and Mel Brooks is like, seriously, you're going to let us do all this stuff in this week, but you're making to cut that part out? Ben, but that did not make it. That made, that was on the cutting room floor. But one of the funniest, but you're right, they just crammed jokes in and stuff. What do you what do you think about, it's kind of the, the I guess, the, the look of the movie. And the reason why I'm going to, I'm asking that is because, like I say, I went back and watched it you know, just a couple of days ago. And the thing that struck me about it was, mm-hmm. and I never really noticed this before, it was how theatrical that it looked. Okay, so what I mean by that is, like, the way that a lot of the scenes are staged and shot and lit, it's like live theater. Like, there's one or two cameras, and everybody's kind of, you know... Um, set up and like like, they, like in that in that scene when what I just mentioned um when Lily von Stupp is trying to seduce him and then she runs over to the door and opens it and remember and that's when um Headley comes in and he's like what's going on he tries to reach in and grab her remember and but the way that it's lit and stuff I'm like it's like watching live theater and then the, the where it really grabbed me was when they had Lily tied up 
Remember, I don't know if you remember the scene, and and Headley was there with uh, with Slim Pickens, and they're like, you know, and, and he slaps her and stuff like that, and then they go walking away, and they're walking toward the camera. Slim Pickens and uh, and Harvey Corman are walking toward the camera, and they're talking, and at one point, Harvey Corman stops, and Slim Pickens takes a step ahead of him, and realize you can see it in Slim Pickens' eyes because they're all theatrically trained actors, right? Slim Pickens realizes that he's being upstaged. And he stops and takes a step back. And I was just like shocked. It was like watching live theater. So it it struck me. I was like, man, this movie was very simply put together, simply made. It's just Mm -hmm. like you said, it's there just as a construct to just cram jokes in and to just tell a story almost theatrically. So I'm just wondering, um, that was a long-winded way of saying, like, how did you feel about the look of the movie and the way it was shot? Because to me, that kind of stuck in my mind watching it for, you know, for the first time in a long time. It did feel like that, especially because most of the scenes were all, like you said, it, it literally looked like it fit onto one stage. You didn't have like these big, expansive, you know, there was like the one scene with like the uh, the prairie schooners and stuff with the Indians, which Mel Brooks is also an Indian chief, which I, right. I found pretty comical. But, <laughs> they, they're darker know, than us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it showed like a, a panned out view, but most of them were very, very close. It was like one set. And like you said, it was it was one or two cameras. That that part was really interesting. But it was it was weird to me because like this entire movie felt super self-aware. And, you know, going into it blind was the best thing I think I could have done, because if I had, had, you know, kind of read reviews on it or watch YouTube clips or anything like that, I kind of would have got this notion by myself. But um, like listening to it, like they make jokes. Right. So I'm trying to figure out what year the movie is. And I knew offhand that it was it was filmed in the 70s. So it was 1974, but it was basically 100 years earlier. So it was what 1874. Yeah, it was supposed the to take sl- place in 1874. That's right. Right. So Lincoln freed the slaves in 1865. So it was less than 10 years that you know, they were slaves and, you know, like he, uh, the, the one, I, I forgot his name, but the, the white guy at the beginning who, you know, was trying to get them to sing, Lyle, you know, he, yeah. Literally, yeah, he literally says like, you know, when you were slaves, you sang like birds and, you know, then they make like a, so it, it's kind of giving you the timeline, I guess, but then they make like Jesse Owens jokes. And that that's what I mean. The anachronisms. Yeah. They drop in you know all that I mean? stuff. Yeah. Or, or like there's a there's a toll booth in the middle of the desert. You know what I mean? So they plant that in there. And then I, I'm seeing these things. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? And so then as you get to the, the last act of the, the movie, obviously, it completely gets flipped upside down, which I was not expecting at all. Um, I don't know if you kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Like, is that is that a theme in like other Mel Brooks movies where he completely just upends it? Because, of course, like you said, it literally goes all the way back to like present day in 1970s and like they're on like the set of like warner brothers studios and it's i I wasn't expecting that at all well the thing is the only thing i can relate to it is have you seen space balls you know what other people have mentioned this to me too uh nate dockin was talking Mm -hmm. about this i i saw space balls maybe once and it was like 20 years ago i can barely remember any of it there's a scene in Spaceballs where Rick Moranis plays Dark Helmet and he's there and he's like, we got to figure out what to do. We can't, we got to, we, we, we can't beat these guys. How are we? And the guy's like, hey, I know what we can do. Let's just rent the movie and see what happens. So he walks over, the guy walks over to the wall and goes through all the VHS tapes and finds, you know, all of these old Mel Brooks movies like, you know, like Young Frankenstein and, and Blazing Saddles and To Be or Not To Be. And then he comes along. Oh, there, there's Spaceballs. He takes it out, pops it in. They start watching it. And then there's like an embarrassing scene uh, that happens to Rick Moranis. He's like, I'll fast forward that part. Never, never, ever watch that part again and then they go ahead and then they see what happens at the end and then they back it up and then it goes right to the live moment that they're in and so i think mel brooks does kind of like these kind of 
anachronisms, these kind of, you know, kind of winks at the camera and kind of things and mm-hmm. placing it in the in the moment and stuff like that. But, I mean, he certainly doesn't do it in every one of his films. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting way to kind of wrap the movie up. And the, then the, they break down, the, the, it backs up on the scene when they, it's, it's just so funny. So they create the fake Rock Ridge with the fake people that that was the resolution to the whole thing and then they, it backs they, up they, from there yeah town overnight <laughs> i know and then they forgot people right and then uh, and then it just then once they create the fake town and everything's going on then the camera pulls back and you realize they're on a back lot in hollywood and then it spills into the musical that dom deluise is doing and they're all fighting and he's like screw you i work for mel brooks and they're all fighting it's just insanity and then to top it all off they ride away in in the in the, on the sunset and they're horses and they stop and they jump into a limousine. And it's like, it's just like, it's that those anachronisms that are just so, so, I don't know, it's just so, such a different way to kind of break that fourth wall in a way, you know, that's very, very interesting. Um, so I have a couple, so again, you have lots of different scenes that I wanted to talk a little bit about the fart scene because I think things have <laughs> changed a lot, obviously since 1974 to today. But when that came out in 1974, that was the first time that people had ever broke wind on in a movie like it, really yeah it never happened so it, mel brooks went to um went to burton gilliam lyle and said to him that they, they were going to shoot that scene he goes get ready because i'm going to make you famous today and he was the first one you know that farted you know in, in that sequence and then they all kind of went <laughs> up and down and stuff and think about it like this when that Okay, so that movie played on television, right? You know, TV back, you know, would play movies, right? But it would be totally edited, obviously. And one of the scenes, I remember as a kid watching that on TV, and that scene, all of the fart noises were cut out of it. So the whole scene was silent. The guy comes walking, like, you see them all eating the beans, drinking the coffee. So they're just sitting at the campfire? But but the one guy lifts his leg, and the other ones start moving up and down. It looks like they're doing a choreographed ballet. They're all moving up and down and all this all around, but there's no sound. Because it was so offensive that they would they, they they could never put that on TV. That was considered an extremely offensive scene. One of the most famous scenes of the movie was the fart scene. But I'm just wondering, like like so today, if that movie was made today, would it still be considered to be as offensive? I don't think so, because now the limits have been pushed, right? The limits have been pushed too, but there's so much distortion of what's appropriate and what's inappropriate. Like I remember listening to an interview with uh, Seth Rogen of all people, and remember he made that movie Sausage Party. I know this is kind of random, but mm-hmm. it's it's literally a movie. You know, it's super sexual. It's a rated R animated movie for adults, and they basically said that they were going to give it what what is the other rating like something seventeen or something where you, you you have to have yeah, yeah they were going to give it that rating because one of these sausage characters had too many pubes above his penis. Oh my 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 like (laughs) that type of thing or like you know something like on youtube right uh my wife watches these vet where they take rescue vets this is kind of a a tangent but my she watches these videos where vets take in like rescue animals and they do surgery and fix them and stuff like that they have to blur out like surgery being done to like a dog's leg but you can literally google live births and you can watch a woman like squatting in a river giving natural birth you know what i mean i'm not saying one is right and one is is wrong but there's there's it, there's so much politicism that's involved with what's censored and what's not. I don't think like flatulence would be something that would be censored, but um, I mean I think you would as far as like all the other things, all the the racial you know slurs and stuff like that. I think it would be censored to an extent if they wanted to have any type of large release. You know what I mean? The fact that it's a comedy I think changes a little bit. If it were a drama or you know some sort of you know historical fiction, they would have gotten a free pass on it. You can basically say whatever you want, but. The, 
because people are supposed to be laughing at it and they're using those slurs, I think they would have got a lot more a lot more blowback than they did. I'd like to put uh, the movie in perspective a little bit for you because, as you know, I love all the like behind-the-scenes trivia and stuff. That's always kind of my thing. So a couple of casting decisions were made when they were making this movie. Uh, originally, um, Cleavon Little's character, Black Bart, you know, the lead character, was supposed to be played by Richard Pryor. So Richard Pryor actually co-wrote the movie, okay? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he was supposed to play that part and one of the biggest problems that they had was in 1974 Richard Pryor was still relatively unknown you know he didn't become like a bigger movie star until like later toward the end of the decade but really into the 80s and you know at the time he was just a stand-up comic who was known for his foul mouth and and he was quite angry he brought a lot of anger to the stage right and he was by the way Yancey if you've never seen Richard Pryor do stand-up got to go back and watch it watch um you know on the hollywood strip or something like that like he oh man Mm -hmm. oh man he was something else he was phenomenal but anyway so at the time he was pretty much just a stand-up comic with a foul mouth and the problem was is that they were so worried that the producers of the film because obviously even in 1974 when you make a movie it costs a lot of money like you're you're investing a, a big chunk of change and a lot of time in people's effort to do it the producers were scared to uh, hire Pryor because of his drug and alcohol abuse. And it was so bad. They didn't, they, they were concerned of him showing up, just showing mm-hmm. up and, and even showing up sober, you know, so let alone showing up at all sometimes. So they decided to go a different way and brought in, um, brought in Cleavon Little, which I think made a huge difference. Could we, so do you know a little bit of what Richard Pryor, are you familiar with him in any way at all? Um, I mean, I, I know him for his stand-up. I've seen YouTube clips and stuff. I know he's revered by basically every stand-up comic alive. They all talk about him as like, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of stand-up right. comedians. And I do know like towards the end of his life, um, he needed money really bad. And so he was doing all these shows and stuff. And uh, it was the same situation where like he was basically, I mean, almost incoherent on stage. And, you know, he had to be, he, oftentimes he was sitting down. He just had a lot of health problems and everything that kind of was a result of, you know, the drinking and the drugs and stuff like that for most of his life. But um, I'm not intimately aware with, with, you know, his work or his personal life or anything now. Well, so, so the thing is, like I say, he's, he was kind of an angry kind of guy. Remember when we did back in episode three, when we did Saturday night live and we were talking about our favorite sketches. And I mentioned one when Richard Pryor was on Saturday night live uh, in the very, very first, uh, very first season. And he did a sketch with Chevy chase and it was, it was about word association. So what it was, was um, Chevy chase, was uh, interviewing Richard Pryor for a job. And he said, instead of doing a regular interview, I'd like to do a word association game with you. I'm going to throw a word at you and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind. And they start, you know, doing words back and forth. And then the words start to get a little bit kind of racially charged. And it kind of goes, but Richard Pryor, Pryor is quite angry throughout that scene, like the way it's played. And it, that, and it works perfectly for the scene. Like it's just a great sketch. But the thing is, is the reason I bring it up is because if you think of Richard Pryor in this role, I think the movie would have flopped because he, because he you cannot cut off that that anger it's it's there under the surface with Richard Pryor and the whole point the whole reason that this movie works is that the people that are saying the n word and the racists in it are morons and Black yep. Bart is such a likable nice guy that mm-hmm. it plays that you're like you sympathize with him and you're like how could these people do this you know and that's that's where the heart of the movie is for me and i think if richard Pryor played that role that wouldn't have worked and the movie would have really 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 tanked do you agree with that in any way again again knowing Pryor for a little bit i i agree i mean i think he just did such a perfect job that 
it's it's weird because I didn't grow up with the film. I, I don't have like this huge emotional attachment like you do. But it, it would be weird already just seeing somebody else play it because he does do it so well. And just as an aside, like how how great did it feel like towards the end whenever he says, uh, what was it? He's like, you watch that boy redneck you know mm-hmm. he calls him, he basically calls him like a redneck so yeah. I, I i would have liked to have seen more of that kind of like pushing back and you know almost like defiant type of attitude more earlier in the film but i mean i guess that's one knock on it let, let me ask you a question though as far as like criticisms go i mean can you be objective about this and can you say like is there anything about this film that you wish they had done differently or that you don't like about it oh that's tough because i i mean it's right up there at the top of my comedies of all time um <sighs> What could they have done differently? You know what? It's it's so funny. If you strip this movie down, and if you take away all the naughty bits, and I know there's quite a few of them in there, but you remove that stuff, this movie would have been perfect for kids. Like, really, it would be, because it's just so goofy and silly with the farting and everything else. Like, like that scene when they go out in the desert, and there's nothing for miles. And they yeah. and they created the diversion by putting up that toll booth again a toll booth in 1874 with a big arm on it it says ten cents <laughs> oh man somebody's got to go back and get a load of dimes like it's just yeah. so outrageous that it would be something like you know again you take away the swear words in those situations I think kids would like it so I I think I don't I don't think there's too much of it that I don't like I mean like it's easy just to say the gratuitous worse wor- use of the the n word in it is is a little off putting. I will say that. But when you take it in the context of what it is, and it's used as a vehicle to show you that the people that are using that word are the morons. And Black Bart is a great guy. And it really kind of brings it all around. So I think it's done in a way that could be really, really tricky and treacherous to try and redo today or at any other time. But the way it was done, I think is almost perfect. So I wouldn't want to change a whole lot, you know, that way. Um, we were mentioned about Richard Pryor. I also want to touch base on Gene Wilder for a second because I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, he, that's actually what I was going to bring up, not to cut you off, but no, my good, one good. What do you think? What's your take? He was, my one criticism was that he, he should have been in the movie more. They should have used him a lot more. And I was I was kind of sad that there wasn't more of that dialogue. Like, uh, the two of them going back and forth when he was in the jail cell was Oh, man. Was awesome. that funny? When he says, uh, what do you like to do? Well, you know, play screw. chess, screw. <laughs> well, let's play chess. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was, yeah, it's great. <laughs> and, like, phenomenal. So he originally wasn't supposed to do that movie either. They had somebody else. And I, it escapes me now who the, the, the actor was that they had playing the part. And the actor drank a little bit too much. And one of the reasons why they gave him the part was because he was a big drinker. So it'd be, he would fit into that role. But mm-hmm. he did drink too much. And then they wanted Gene Wilder to do it. And Gene Wilder didn't want to do the movie so he said that he went to Mel Brooks and said okay let's have a trade-off here I will do Blazing Saddles I will play the Waco kid on one condition I have an idea for a movie and you're gonna make it for me and that movie's called Young Frankenstein and so Mel Brooks said you're on you start in Blazing Saddles as the Waco kid and I'll make I'll make your movie Young Frankenstein that's what they did so Young Frankenstein also came out in 1974 as well so sort of a bit of a trade-off, I guess, that that he got that role. But I, oh man, Gene Wilder, like, could you imagine anyone else playing that part? And, no. and, and, and like, just, he's he's brilliant. He is absolutely brilliant. Like I, like I mentioned to you on a previous podcast, there's something about him that is just really unhinged. Like, he's, he was really, really unhinged and out there. But he also had yeah. such a heart that it made it all okay. 
You know, the fact that he was a nut bar. But uh, so again, just to go back, because I'm curious from a millennial take, what were some, I want to throw a couple scenes at you. And I want you to, number one, give me your take on the scene and whether or not you think that, that it could fly today. So remember when they're way, when okay. all the guys are lined up and, and Headley Lamar is going to um, uh, hire them to, you know, to go out and try and round up the town. And, and there's the two guys that are dressed as, as the clan. And, and, um, uh, Waco Kid is behind the rock and says, hey, boys, look look what I got. And he pulls out Black Bart and Black Bart says, hey, where are all the white women at? <laughs> what are your, what's your take white on that? White women scene? at, yeah. <laughs> Could they do that today? Like, I, I, what do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, I think so. It's, uh, gosh, I laugh so hard, though. But that's like, it, it's basically just flying in the face of, of all those racial stereotypes that people always make. You know what I mean? Like, people who are still racist today, like, that's that's one of the main things that you you'll hear from them is that oh they're they're taking our white women you know what i mean like it's seen as offensive by you know people down south like if a white you know woman is with a black guy like so for them to say that and put that in the movie back in the 70s i, I think that's i mean it, it's it's pretty dodgy like it's i mean what what type of blowback did they get from stuff like that and those types of comments was there any type of like negative you know feedback from this movie at all or was it generally accepted as being you know like, was there outcry? Was there backlash? Was there theaters banning the movie at all? Uh, no, you know, I don't. I don't think that there was a whole lot of that going on at the time. And the thing is, you know, I mean, the uh, the seventies and eighties were a pretty racist time, you know, <laughs> to, to, to put it bluntly. And yeah. um, but but I will say that the movie didn't test very well um, with the studio when it when they first did. Like they had um, they had a test screening, nobody laughed, they didn't like it, and it wasn't until they they showed it to like a blue collar audience that they that the audience loved it and the studio was like okay we 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 we're going to release this movie because the studio heads didn't get it they didn't like it but like i say the blue collar people did for whatever reason whether they they um maybe maybe part of it was they related to some of the racist stuff that was going on you know what i mean or maybe they related to the other side of it saying hey that's not right you know but for whatever reason it did capture you know, audiences for the most part. And it, it was quite a hit. Um, when I mentioned before my wife's favorite part um, with um, uh, Lily Von Stipp when she's singing I'm Tired, um, uh, Madeline Kahn was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for this movie. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, she was nominated for an Oscar. Can you believe that? Like, when you think of it, like, that's almost unheard of for a comedy to be nominated for an acting award, you know? But um, so another one that I, that I, I, I thought that was interesting was I think just the entire opening scene with the whole thing of like, don't send up horses, send up, you know, the men, those men. And then when mm-hmm. they send up the men and then they get caught in the quicksand, they save the push cart and they leave the guys there. Like the, that whole, I, I just, I can't imagine that being a film today. Like, even though it takes place in the, in the 1800s, like I just, mm-hmm. not in a comedy because like, like you mentioned Django Unchained, and and yeah, that that one you know went there uh, for sure, but it went there in a, in in obviously an over the top you know kind of way, right? Right. But not as a put to make this. Can you imagine pitching this to the studio? Hey, I've got an idea for a movie. Um, the government wants to put a railroad through a town out in the in the wild west, but the people there live there, so they got to try and get them out of town. So what could be the most offensive thing to get them to move town? Let's send them a black sheriff. We'll send a black yep. guy. Out there and, 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 and then, and they hate him and they're racist toward him. And then, you know, all this happens. The studio go, Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention it's a comedy. Like what? <laughs> like yeah, it's designed to make people laugh <laughs> yeah, at it too. Like unbelievable that this actually happened. But, uh, and then like, there's another, uh, scene when they're talking about, uh, when, uh, 
oh, when uh, Slim Pickens is, is talking to uh, Headley Lamar and he says, I know we can pull a number six on him. Do you remember that part? We'll pull a number six on him. That's where we go riding into town, roping and a whooping everything within an inch of his life. And he's like, and the women folk? Nope. We, and then he says a line that I can't not repeat. Like, I can't imagine that being in a movie today. And like, they're not being like, like a picket, you know, line around the theater. I don't know. Is yeah. it just me? Like, or, or, or what's the case? Like, they couldn't do it, right? I, I don't think so. Not, not. Not in the same scope. Like I said, this would have to be some sort of underground, crowdfunded, independently financed, you know what I mean? Like a pet project from somebody that completely funds it by themselves. But I don't think a major, you know, a major company could have picked this up. The blowback would have just been so extreme. You know what I mean? Like Netflix right now, Netflix is getting all this heat because of the Dave Chappelle uh, stand up. Uh, specials that they bought right they're fantastic i laughed at them but there are some things that seem like really you know progressive you know backwards progressive basically like he kind of goes at uh transgender people and you know women's rights and stuff like that um but you know it still got made you, you see what i'm saying it, it still got made and it was a comedy and people laugh at it and stuff i sometimes i think stand-up comedy kind of gets like a free pass with a lot of stuff but it, it, it's curious to see how much blowback like these stand-up comics do get, but for I keep saying the same thing over and over again. But for a a, a major company like this to put something out like that, where they're just using the n-word gratuitously and all these different things and laughing about it, and I don't know, man, I I, I don't know that that this movie would exist if it weren't made in the seventies. So for years now, Yancey, that we've known each other, um, and especially on this podcast for like the last eight months or nine months, um, I've been telling you you got to watch Blazing Saddles. Mm-hmm. You, know, you gotta watch it. You gotta watch it. So you've watched it. I've always said it's in you know my top you know one or two favorite comedies of all time. How does it? How does it stack stack up for you now that you've seen it? You've you've actually witnessed it. You said you watched it twice. Um, mm-hmm. how, how does it rank overall in in you know in, in the the pantheon of comedy films for you? Um, I would probably. I mean, I- it, it gets ranked. It's going to be charted. Like if I if I had to give out you know comedic recommendations and stuff to to you know family members or my wife or something. We well we do uh, top five lists every week. You know, and so I'm not, I'm not saying to like immediately slap it into there, but I mean just because we're always doing lists on this show as a, as a regular kind mm-hmm. of bit that we do. Like like would it crack your top five comedies of all time? Do you think? I don't know if it'll crack my top five. I'd kind of have to go back and revisit it. But uh, I mean, maybe top 10, maybe. I laughed at this movie a lot. I laughed really, really hard. My wife, you know, I had my Bluetooth headphones in, so she couldn't really hear anything that was going on. She just saw me watching on my iPad. And she was just looking at me like, just completely befuddled. She's like, why are you laughing so hard? And it's really hard to explain why. I'm like, you know, there's a toll booth in the middle of the desert. And she's like, I don't get it. I, I feel like this movie would be one of those films where uh, a, a large swath of the population would not laugh at it at all. You know what I mean? Just, like, and then, go around. They just go around it. Well, that's the whole funny part. Yeah. They're so stupid that they can't. Yeah. You got to go back and get times. Did, out of curiosity, when you watched it the second time, did she watch it with you or no? Uh, no, she did not. Okay, I was just curious I, what not. her take was on it because, like my wife said, it must be a guy thing. But guys must like this movie because it's dumb. So I just yeah. wonder if she saw it and I was just wondering if it was the same take. But but you, so it would it might crack your top ten. So, yeah, I think so. So so it's not good. Um, so are are you glad that you finally watched it though? After all this, time? I am glad. I, uh, it, it's kind of embarrassing. Like this is another you know really you know popular movie. I had two or three different people reach out to me either on like Twitter or DMs or texting me and basically giving me like you know threats like if you don't like this movie I really don't know if I can be your friend. Like, it is <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. And it, it did hold up. Honestly, Chris, it, it held up. It was super funny. It's 
it was not at all what I expected, especially, you know, the last act of the film. That was not what I was expecting at all. But, um, yeah, really, really, really solid movie. And, uh, I mean, it's one of those things, if it were, if it were on TV, if it's on, like, cable in the middle of the day, I would just be watching it. You know well, what I mean? Well, as you know, Mel Brooks went to uh, Broadway and, and did uh, a Broadway version of The Producers, which was a film of his. And it was a huge smash on Broadway. Um, he's been approached numerous times to try and take Blazing Saddles to the stage. As I pointed it out um, on watching it again recently, it's extremely theatrical in the way that it's already done. So I think converting it to the stage would not be hard. I don't know if he will. Um, he hasn't really, he said he's been approached about it, about adapting the story for the stage. I don't know whether or not he's actually going to do it. Um, there could obviously be some, you know, um, some pitfalls along the way with doing it. I don't know. So who knows? Maybe we'll we'll see it converted into a, a Broadway show at some time. Sometime. So overall, I wanted to say thank you, Yancey. Thank you for taking the time mm -hmm. to watch one of my favorite comedies of all time i'm gonna hit you with some more too but um you know i did say you know you know all transparency i said if you watch this movie and come back and we'll review it together and we'll get our takes on it then i would let you throw a movie at me so so here's your chance because you know we always go back and forth oh you've never seen this you've never seen that here's your chance you got to challenge me what is there any movie that you would like to challenge me to watch from your generation and then we can come back like especially one that is profoundly important to you in some way or you know to your generation let me know what it is i will watch it next week we'll come back and review it how about that, that i like say let's do it okay yep, so so what would the movie be if i could give you any movie at all uh so i thought about this for a little bit and uh there was a bunch of different movies that I could go with, but I kind of wanted to go with one that was a little bit off the beaten path, kind of like Blazing Saddles. Well, maybe Blazing Saddles is a lot bigger than I am giving it credit for. Um, but uh, for me, I went with like a sci-fi route, so we could talk about a little sci-fi film. This one came out in 2009. It's called District 9, and okay. uh, it takes a completely different spin on like the whole alien sci-fi movie uh, genre that you're used to. Um, it's not like, you know, these aliens are coming to Earth and they're going to destroy it or you know the uncertainty and the, you know everybody's scared and it's you know armageddon now basically with with aliens it's a completely different take on the genre it's a fantastic thriller indie film and i i really really think you're gonna like it so okay. that's what i want you to watch i will watch district nine and we will come back next week and we will review it together and then i will throw another one at you how's that Let's do it. All right. And I don't know if I'm going to do a comedy or a drama. Maybe it'll be one that we've already talked about on the show. <clears throat> I don't know. I'll think of something, but I think that's a great idea. So I'll watch District 9 <clears throat> and I'll come back uh, and, and we'll review this and we'll see if, because you obviously really like District 9, obviously, if you're yeah. picking this movie. So you think it's wonderful. We'll have to see if I have the same uh, the, the same take on it. So um, thank, thanks a lot for, for finally watching Blazing Sounds. At the very least, now, Yancey, you can go on to Twitter and mention to all these people that, hey, you've seen it and you actually liked it. So that's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. so. I uh, I mean, I'm slowly starting to like check off these movies that is incredibly embarrassing that I haven't seen them. So here's another one. Well, there you go. And that's why I can say maybe I'll throw a drama at you or something like that next time because I want to make sure that you're well-rounded. And more, most importantly, I like the comedy. So I, I, I got to say, like, I'm a fan. I remember my uh, my university uh, roommates, especially John, my buddy, he used to always say, man, you, you are the king of the classic comedy. Like those McBrien classic comedies. Like there's a bunch of my like, like stripes, you know, and, um, and, and like trading places and all those kind of movies from the 80s, Ghostbusters, all those kind of movies that I just mm -hmm. love so much. Spies Like Us, a lot of John Landis stuff in there. Um, and so I might, I'll, might pull a couple of those out, but you know I might get you some drama as well. But anyway, again, thanks a lot for doing this. As always, I just love getting together with you on Friday nights and talking. It was nice talking about one of my favorite comedies of all time. Um, anyway, I guess that's it. We'll wrap things up, and we'll come back next week, and we'll do a review of District 9. Until then, 
For Yance Eaton, this is Chris McBride saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.